Good morning, family. Thank you, Ben, for all that information. What I'd like to do this morning in the message is to prepare our hearts for this week of prayer and fasting and just draw us to the scriptures that we feel are so significant and about the, the, um, just the, the focus that we want, not only for this week, but for the year. And as Ben said, this week is so important for us to position ourselves towards that which we feel the Lord is saying to us. And um, I believe that there's two portions of Scripture that uh, we will hold throughout this year and, and refer to every now and then and come back to, and um, not next Sunday, because that's the end of the week of prayer and fasting, but the following Sunday, the first Sunday in, in February, we'll actually be starting with our series for this uh, first term, which is entitled More Fruit. And that series is going to be based around John 15. It'll not just be about John 15 that we'll speak, but it's really based around the thoughts and the ideas of John 15. So that's one core scripture for us for this year, and I'm going to show you a verse within John 15 that is sort of the, what we felt is the theme for this year. But the second scripture is the scripture that Neil introduced a couple of Sundays ago, and that's Zechariah 8. And so what I want to do this morning is sort of bring those two together and uh, just share what I, I, I feel is that sense which the Lord has for us. Our core scripture for this year is John 15, verse 8. John 15, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And if you remember the setting, it's just after the, the time that he spent with them in the upper room, the, the feet washing. And now he's walking and they're working their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And along the way, he stops at a vineyard and he starts talking to them and giving them a bit of an object lesson to prepare them for what was coming over the next 72 hours. They didn't quite understand what was going to happen, but Jesus knew the significance of what is just about to happen and unfold, that the whole reason he's come to be on earth is ultimately so that he could be crucified and that he could be resurrected. And um, as he's preparing them for the whole reason that this is what is going to happen, he's walking with them through this vineyard and he starts talking to them about the relationship between the branch and the vine in a vineyard and the whole idea of fruit. And in John 15 verse 8, he said the following, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now, I think for some of us, the word fruit and fruitfulness, if you've been around church and Christianity a long time, you may sort of go, oh, I've heard that before. And, and it may have sort of lost a bit of its impact and it may be just a spiritual word that we use. For others that perhaps are new in their journey of faith and are still learning about these spiritual concepts, it may be a bit of a word that you go, I don't quite understand what, what's Jesus talking about. Now, as far as I understand, the word fruit is a very important and very apt description that Jesus uses to talk about our lives and what God is expecting from us. Because the word fruit in its original term is the word karpos in the Greek. And um, the, the definition given for it is this. Fruit is the, is the natural product of the inherent energy of a living organism. It's the natural product of the inherent energy of a living organism. So because a tree is an orange tree, it produces oranges. It's not so much the fact that it has oranges that makes it an orange tree, although that's how we see it. It's because in its DNA, in its life, it carries being 
an orange tree. It's orangeness, if I can use such a horrible word. It is an orange tree, therefore naturally it produces oranges. It has the energy, the life flow naturally in it produces oranges. So it would be with a peach tree, so would it be with a cherry tree, so would it be with whatever. It bears the fruit in keeping with its nature. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, my friends, you need to bear fruit. Because your fruit will bring glory to the kingdom and to the Lord God. What does the word glory mean? Remember the word glory means in, in, in some context it means to reflect God, to make him known, to shine the spotlight on him, to reveal the fullness of who he is. He's saying to them, you need to do things and live a life that shows to others who God is. And I'm asking you and I'm going to be expecting fruit from you. Remember again, again, the context. Jesus is about to die. The disciples are about to enter a period of great trauma and difficulty and shock. And Jesus says to them, everything that's going to happen in the next couple of days is so that you can bear fruit. Showing that you are followers of Christ. That you are children of God. And therefore through that you will glorify God. So I think the key thing we have to understand within that is that God expects fruit from our lives. Can you say that with me? Can you say that for yourself? Can you speak to yourself this, this morning and say, God expects fruit from my life? Are you okay? Are you comfortable to do that? Can we do that together? Say after me, God expects fruit from my life. Now, some of you don't want to say that because that th you think if you don't say it, it's going to excuse you. I'm sorry to say, even if you don't say it, even if you don't agree with it, it's what the scripture says. Now, you may say to me, but that's not nice because that means there's pressure on me. That means that I've got to do something. I've got to produce something. And hang on, haven't, don't we believe in a gospel where I'm saved by grace, not by works? That I'm saved because Jesus did all the, the hard work and all I have to do is believe and just receive the forgiveness and the blood of Christ and then I'm fine and I, I, you know, there's no expectation on me. But now you're saying, no, there is an expectation. I am supposed to bear fruit. But this is the beauty of it. This is where this picture of Jesus is so beautiful. He's saying, God expects fruit from your life, but it's not your fruit. Jesus is actually saying to his disciples, it's my fruit that you will bear. Let's read John 15, verse five to six. I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus categorizes for us. He puts us in our place. He says, who is the one in this relationship that carries the nature and who expresses that nature? And he says, I'm the vine. I'm the one that has the nature of the fruit. So I'm the orange tree. I am the grapevine. I am the apricot tree. I am that. The, the nature of that is in me. You are the branches. You are grafted into me, connected into me. And as you are connected into me, my life, my orangeness, will begin to flow through you 
and you will bear the fruit, but it's not your fruit, it's my fruit. So yes, I expect of you to bear the fruit, but your bearing the fruit is merely because you are in me. You display my nature. You see, each of us are born with a nature. The Bible says we're born in sinful nature. We were grafted into sin, into the law, into the failure of our rebellion and sin. And because of that, we used to bear fruit. That is natural. You, you, if, a, if a sinner sins, you can't really blame them for sinning because they're just being true to their nature. Now Jesus says, I have come to give you a new nature. And you get grafted into me by putting your faith in me, by being born again, by becoming alive in me. And because you're alive in me, my fruit will become your fruit. So Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me. So the, the key thing, if I want to bear fruit, is to recognize I have to remain in Jesus. Or some translations use the word abide. And it's so beautifully done on our booklet, abide. Abide means to stick it out. To stay connected. To be vitally connected to the tree. To recognize I can't bear fruit. Now, when we use the word fruit, practically what does that mean? Now, I'd like to, it would be fantastic to hear your thoughts on what do you think that word means, fruit. And if you want to, you can drop us a message, send us an email. I'd love to hear from you what you think that word fruit means. But I'm going to tell you what I think it means. Now, you don't have to agree with me, and I really mean it. Send an email to us, talk to us at Hatfield, those of you that are online, or just, and you tell me what you think the word fruit means. But to me, I think in as broad a context, the word fruit is related to being good. Every person alive on this planet today and has ever lived and will ever live has an idea of what it means to be good and wants to be good. We want to be good people and we want to do good things. Every person has that desire. And therefore, religious systems, philosophies, ways of thinking, teachings, doctrines, dogma comes along and is developed and formed to describe to us what is good and how to be good. What is a good person and how do I do good things? And I think that's the fruit of our lives, is being good. And what Jesus is saying to us here, is, which is so radical, is he's saying the following. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. You will Become good and you will do good. But then he says this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the radical idea of Christianity. Every other religion, every other thought system comes to a person and says, if you work at it, you can be good and you can do good. Now I know those two are very close to one another, but I think we do understand that they're a little different. Every religion comes and says, if you practice the following disciplines, build this routine into your life, build these practices, you can become, over time, if you work hard enough, you can become a good person and you can do good. 
Every philosophy tries to define what it means to be good and then tells us what we should do to be good. So I think every person on this planet has some idea of good and are trying to live up to that. Jesus comes along in history and he's a bit of a lone voice when he says the following. He says, you will never be good. Every other religious leader tells you, you can be good. Jesus says, you've got no hope to be good. You were born in sin. Your nature is to fail and to do that which is not good. And no matter how hard you try, you'll never get it right. At least not to the point where it's good enough for God to accept you and to say you are good. Jesus says, give up on it. That's what he means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can never be good enough and you'll never do enough good to please God. You don't have the ability to bear the fruit to the level that God expects. Remember that day that Jesus was walking with his disciples and they came upon a fig tree. And Jesus did something that seems to be really unfair. He comes to the fig tree and he's looking for figs. I don't know what he was feeling like for a little bit of brie and fig, you know, kind of thing on his crackers or I don't know what it was. But he was looking for a fig tree to bear fruit. And I don't know, there's, there's in some place, if I remember correctly, where it says, and it wasn't the season for the tree to bear fruit. Hey? So Jesus stands in front of the tree and he says, I want figs. And the tree says, sorry, wrong time of the year, I'm resting. And what does Jesus do? Did Jesus say, oh, well, you know, that's okay, that's fine. I understand. Sorry for inconveniencing you. Sorry for putting pressure on you. I'll come around next time. What did Jesus do? He cursed the fig tree. And it died right there. Throat. Now, we've got to remember Jesus is the giver of life and the sustainer of life. If Jesus stands in front of you and he says, all he has to do is say, I withdraw life from you and that thing will die. And so in that moment, he says to that tree, you have no more purpose to exist because you're not doing what you were made for. I'm withdrawing your right to life and the tree dies. That's harsh, isn't it? God expects fruit. Jesus expected fruit. Now we understand what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. That that tree, that fig tree, was probably representing the system of the law. The system of religious festivals. And he was saying, I've come to you, the law, and I'm looking for the fruit that will be creating people that are good people and that can do good to the standard that I want. And I have tested and you are not producing the fruit. Therefore, I'm saying to you, you have no more reason to exist. And he said, the law is finished in its, what it was trying to do. It failed. And he's saying, I'm giving a new way. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The only way you can produce the fruit of the kingdom that will please God is if you give up on the idea of ever producing the fruit that will please God. And recognize that you, no matter how much effort you put in, will never be able to do it. The only way you and I can do it is to come and humble ourselves before Jesus. And to say, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize my failure. 
I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to create new life in me. And in that moment, I become part of the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. I die with Christ. And I'm also resurrected with him. And now Jesus says, you're alive in me. And when you're alive in me, my fruit begins to flow through you. And you will produce fruit much more than you ever thought possible. Because I will do it through you. Come on, let's say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Nice scripture. How many of you want to put that on your bumper sticker on your car? <laughs> Hashtag blessed, baby. <laughs> and if I'm not blessed, prune me and throw me in a fire. I mean... I know we live in the 21st century and, and generally in society we don't feel comfortable with the God that puts expectations on us. We like the God that is like a grandfather that says, oh, I'm just going to support you in whatever you want to do. If it makes you happy, that's great. Go for it. Yes, 10 rand. We like that God. We like the God that says, oh, you know, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to express yourself. And I don't want to put pressure on you. I'm just so thankful that you just arrived. No, we don't serve a God like that. We serve a God that says, I want much fruit from you. Because it's not your fruit, it's his fruit. Actually, all he's asking from you and me is to stay connected to him so that he can bear the fruit that pleases him through me. So that he can do the work. I don't know when last you've been in an orchard. I've been privileged to be in a number of orchards and, and, and on, a, on, in like a, on a farm where they farmed with grapes and in the vineyards. Generally, whenever, like we saw a beautiful picture this morning of a, of a, of a uh, vineyard. We associated those places with peace, don't we? It's nice. I don't know if you've walked through an orchard and you've heard these horrible sounds. Because the poor trees are standing there going, come on guys, we have to produce now. Winter's over, it's springtime. These blossoms have to be turned into fruit, people. Come on, we've got to do this. Come on, everybody. And they strain and they stress and they sweat. And the poor ones are like, oh, I've got to do this every year. Oh, can I just, when is my retirement? <laughs> have you found trees doing that? If you have, please help them. <laughs> a tree is a fruit-bearing tree because of its nature. And so it bears fruit. Jesus is saying, if you're vitally connected to me, the more you stay with me, the more naturally you will produce the fruit. So therefore, in a strange way, the more fruit you want, the more you have to rest. By rest, I mean abide in him. Stay connected in him. What is your job and my job as a child of God? Stay connected to him. Be in Him. Love Him. Serve Him. But recognize that there does come times where the Lord comes and stands in front of you and He says, okay, let's do some fruit checking. And then He looks and He says, this is not great. You know? I don't think it's really nice when God stands in front of you and He starts frowning. He's like, mm -mm, this is not good. 
And then he does that horrible thing where he gets out the shears or the saw and he starts saying, this is not good enough, this won't do. And he starts laying into your life and he starts cutting. Have you ever been pruned? Is it wonderful? Is it nice? No. I mean, we had a tree in our garden, a very nice big tree that was casting a lot of shade on our, on our one porch. And this tree got ill. Just before lockdown, it got severely ill. It had aphids, like a lot. And so we tried everything. We've, we put poison in it and we injected in its roots. We did everything we could to try and figure out the best we know how to deal with this. Eventually, the only thing we could do was to cut it down, let all its branches off, that it was basically the stump that was left. Just, you know, still tall, but just cut everything off. It had nothing green left on it. It's about three years ago, and now it's, it's starting to get volume again. Every now and then, I, I have to prune our rose bushes and if you've done pruning of a rose bush you know you cut that thing down to it's like core but you know that no good gardener prunes because of anger they prune because of love because they know the life they know the potential of this tree and they know this tree was made to bear fruit and this tree will only ever experience the joy of its full life if it bears the fruit that it was supposed to bear so that the good gardener will not allow the tree to settle for less the good gardener comes and says I'm going to prune I'm going to cut I'm going to take away but it's painful it's not nice it is it messes with our identity because, you know, sometimes we've, we, our identity becomes more about the fruit we bear than the nature that we have. My identity begins to grow because of the wonderful fruit I'm bearing. And, and because people see my fruit and they start appreciating my fruit and they, and they give me respect because of my fruit, I start thinking it's about my fruit. I forget that it's not my fruit, actually. I'm just getting the privilege to bear it. I'm bearing God's fruit that God can be pleased with the fruit that he wants. I forget that. So I get all excited about my fruit. And sometimes when we've got great fruit, God comes and he says, okay, time to prune. And he cuts off all your nice branches with all your fruit. And he leaves like this little sickly looking stump. And you feel like I've lost my identity. I don't know who I am. I, how can God do that to me? God is so unkind. God is so harsh. But he knows the potential. He knows what he's called us to. And so we don't serve a God that when we start wandering off from him, when we start failing him, when we withdraw our abiding, that just goes, ah, oh, Whatever. Whatever, as long as you're happy, just go for it. Uh, aren't you glad you serve a God that pursues you? That when you start wandering off the path, he doesn't say, ah, you know, catch you around the next corner. He says, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. He starts following after you. He starts bothering you. He starts irritating you, scratching in places where you don't want him to scratch. He starts getting up in your face, getting in your business, and he says, come on, you're settling for less. 
And is the most loving thing that God can do is to pursue you when you're giving up on him and even to judge you when you stop loving him. Do you know why? Because there's no life outside of him. The cruelest thing God can do is to leave you alone, to stop you when you wander off from him. Because if he allows that, he is allowing you to walk to death. Because he is the giver of life. Like Jesus standing in front of that fig tree. If Jesus says, you fig tree have no more right to live, that fig tree dies. Because in him we live and move and have our being. So if Jesus says, whatever, if you want to go your own way, that's fine. That would be the most hateful thing that he can do. He would be right. He would be just in doing it. But his love stops him from doing that. One day there will come the great judgment where the Lord will say, you've made your choice. But up until then, he pursues. He's after us. And we see this in his dealing with the nation of Israel. Israel was created by God to be the the first bearer of the fruit of the kingdom. They were given the law, the instructions. God said, I will live among them. They will be my people. And through them, all the nations of the earth will know that I am God. So nation of Israel is the first group of people that carried the expectation to bear the fruit that will glorify God and show people that they are the followers of God. But how many of you know they kept on wandering off? And so this is where we come to Zechariah. Zechariah 8 is this wonderful occasion where God is starting to say to the people, I'm going to restore you. You see, because what happened is the nation of Israel kept on wandering away from the Lord. And and God did everything he can to to get them to not do it. So he sent the prophets, he sent sent rulers, he he did everything he could to, to tell them, don't wander off, stay with me, abide with me, stay grafted in me. Without me, you can't do anything. Don't do this. But they kept on in their rebellion, wandering off from the Lord. Whenever he blessed them, they forgot about him, and they kept, and they just did their own thing. And so they kept on doing this to the point where God eventually said, now I have to do something about it. You know, if you wander off from the Lord, he whispers at first, hey, you, come back, don't go. If you still keep wandering, he starts saying, hey, you, come back. If you still keep wandering, it goes, hey, you, come back. And then he starts adding sound effects. Like lightning, bolts, lightning bolts, fire. He starts pouring out things on you to say, hey, you, come back. You are going to die. And he means that quite literally. So in Zechariah, we read this, Zechariah 8 verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning for jealousy with her. Zion, God's people has wandered away from him. And God says, I'm jealous for you. Now, when God says, I'm jealous for you, please remember we spoke about this last year. His jealousy is a righteous jealousy. Because when I say I'm jealous, it's because of something that I miss. When God says I'm jealous, it's because of something they are missing. Because God is perfect and complete within himself. If I wander off from God, it doesn't affect him in his personhood. It doesn't make him less God. He doesn't start feeling lonely. He doesn't feel depressed. He doesn't feel nobody loves me and rejected. He's complete within himself. God was perfect before he made us. And he's perfect 
even if we are around. He's God. That's, that comes with being God. If you are anything less than that, you are not God. So God is God. When God says he's jealous for you, it's because he loves you and he knows that you are settling for less. You are destroying yourself. And in his love, he cannot stand by and just allow you to do that because he made you and he loves you. And so he says, I'm very jealous. I'm burning with jealousy. And therefore, I'm going to do something. And God did something for the nation of Israel. He raised up Babylon. And Babylon came and destroyed Israel. The temple was destroyed. The city was destroyed. And most of the people, all the best people of the nation of Israel, was taken into exile and captive, held captive in Babylon under an oppressive regime of Nebuchadnezzar. He destroyed their nation. Not only their nation, other nations also. But God used that. And God said... I have to discipline you. And so for 70 years they lived in Babylon under the oppression of Nebuchadnezzar. And God, but God says here in Zechariah 8, he says, whenever I discipline you, it's for a short space of time. Because it's not about the discipline, it's about the restoration. You were wandering off into dangerous territory and you were going to die. And so I had to do something that I don't like doing, but in my righteousness and in my justice, I have to do because I love you. I discipline you, but it is to bring you back. And so in Zechariah 8, we carry on reading in verse 3. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. But I want to remind you what Jerusalem looked like at the time. It was a, a ruined city, a city of rubble. The people that were living in it were eking out an existence by scratching in the rubble, trying to find things to live off. Nothing wanted to grow there. It was a dead, desolate place. So when you looked at the city of Jerusalem and God says, I'm going to restore you to better than what you were before, it would be pretty hard to believe. But God says, watch me, I'm going to do a beautiful thing. This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 9. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Let your hands be strong. And Neil brought that out so beautifully. Strengthen yourself. There's a lot of work ahead. There's hard work that needs to be done because I am going to restore you. But it's going to become possible because I will make it possible. And so what did God do? He raised up the Persians. After 70 years of captivity, the Persians, King Cyrus, rose. And King Cyrus conquered the Babylonians, because the people of Babylon themselves were tired of the oppressive rule they were under. So they actually opened the gates of the city to the king and said, please come in. Like Psalm 22, come in. Conquer our city. We're sick and tired of our own rulers. And so king, the king of Persia came in and he took rulership. And the, one of the first things he decreed is that every nation can go back to where they come from and they can rebuild their cities and rebuild their temples. And he even funded some of the projects. And he became what was known in that time in history as the most benevolent ruler that ever ruled because he allowed the people to restore their nations. And so the Israelites moved back and eventually we had the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall and the temple being rebuilt. 
because God raised up, a, changed the political scene. If God can do amazing things. We think everything's heading in one direction. God can go like this and it will change. Out of the blue. Can we prophesy that we will never have stage 18 load shedding? I don't know. I don't know. Eh? I'm not prophesying. I'm, I'm hoping. We're praying. He's like, Lord. But God can change things like this. And God raises up and the nation of Israel gets sent back to their cities. And now the Lord is saying to them, strengthen your hands. Rebuild. Don't give up. When you're walking there amongst the rubble and it feels like it's too big a task, don't give up. Strengthen your hands. Rebuild. Because I have decided to restore you. The seed, verse 12 to 13, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give you all things as an inheritance to the remnant of his people, just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations. So I will save you, and you will be a blessing. God restoring them to their initial call that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why God raised up Israel through the seed of Abraham through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed and you and I today carry the blessing of that blessing because the Messiah was born out of the nation of Israel and through him all the nations of the earth are blessed and God restores them if you allow God to draw you near he will cause fruit through our lives now Hebrews 12 verse 6, and in Proverbs 3, the Bible says, God disciplines those he loves. In fact, Hebrews says, if you never experience the discipline of God, you're an illegitimate child. You're not really a child, because God disciplines. How many of you have been through a time of discipline? How many of you have been through a time where it's been pruning? I've been. It's hard to remember that this is because God loves me. It's hard to convince other people that it's because God loves me. But God disciplines those whom he loves. If I've wandered off, God will not just stand by and say, Ay, shame. Ish. There goes that stupid child again. God is the good shepherd that will follow you, break your leg, put you on his shoulder and bring you back. And say, you cannot stray far away from me. And you will bear much fruit. The nation of Israel was to bear much fruit. But God said, if you're going to bear the fruit of my kingdom, you have to live according to my laws and my patterns. You have to express who I am. It's not whatever, whatever you want. It's be like I am. Live my character. It's my fruit that is lived through you. My character, my nature. And this is the nature of God. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Why does God hate it? Because it's not who he is. You cannot build a nation on lies and deception and corruption and lack of integrity. You cannot build a community or a nation on that. You cannot build a nation on injustice. Jesus said it to the woman at the well. He said, if you want to worship God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth is the foundation of any good relationship. There has to be truth. God says you need to know the truth and you need to be committed to the truth. 
Stop lying to each other. Stop lying to yourself. Stop trying to fool one another. Stop finding ways to be without integrity. Make a commitment to be truthful. Then I can restore you. Then you will bear the fruit. If you lie, you will bear the fruit of lies. If you live in truth, you will bear the fruit of truth because the truth is who I am. God never lies. He never deceives. He always speaks the truth. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I love the truth. Psalm 15 says, a righteous man loves the truth even when it hurts himself. I don't love the truth because it suits me. I love the truth because it judges me. It prunes me. It reshapes me. And this nation of ours, we all need to, as believers, begin to love the truth. Not our version of the truth. Not the narrative that suits us. Not the story that makes us feel comfortable. But the truth. And begin to bow down before the truth. Because out of truth, justice can be established. You cannot have justice if you don't have truth. The world loves the word justice nowadays, and we want to have all kinds of justice, but can I tell you, you cannot have justice without biblical truth. It will always be twisted and abused and usurped. You see it time and again, because this is the challenge, people. Even if people know the truth, they're not going to do it consistently, because it's not our nature. So you see this throughout history. You see a people that are oppressed and disenfranchised, and then through a period of time, they may have the truth and understand and experience the injustice and rally against it and then they get raised up and they become the, the, the group with power. And then what happens? They get corrupted and they become the oppressors and now a new group's rise and so we keep doing the cycle. Because we don't really love truth, we love power a little bit more than we love truth. But that's the biblical Rearrangement. That's why Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the night before he died. And he said, you've got to learn to love truth. Wash yourself with the truth. Always, consistently. Because then you can rule. And so, God is restoring his people. Come back to John 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And so, Showing yourself to be my disciples. So I want to encourage you in this week. Worship team, you guys can join me. I want to encourage you in this week. Not to miss the weight and the value of a moment such as we have as a community. I, you can fast anytime you want. You can spend every day in prayer as much as you want. And that's fantastic and great. But this is a time where a community comes together. And we assume that posture with Without me, you can do nothing. Lord, it's not me that can produce the fruit. I can never be good enough and I can never do enough good. I can't bear the fruit this world needs. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. So I come and I yield before you. I come and abide in your presence. I come and rest in you. I come and humble myself and draw near to you. I commit myself to your truth, to your justice. I say, here I am, Lord. Work in me, change me. It's not about the external things first, Lord. It's about the internal things of my heart. Change me. And then there's another word that I believe comes with that word abiding. is I consecrate myself. I separate myself to your purposes. 
I recognize my life is not to be lived for me. It's to be lived for you. And I come and I take time separately to communicate and to remind myself and to take my place in a community that says we are separated unto the Lord, not unto ourselves. So I want to encourage you. Thank you to our team that did such a beautiful job with this wonderful booklet for the families to be involved in. Take time, build a rhythm during this week and do the the prayer. Remember what prayer stands for? P is for pause. R is for reflect, rejoice. A is for ask. Y is for yield. You'll see that in the booklet. Let's follow that, what we learned last year together. And then fast. I know like Ben said earlier in Hatfield, it's become this thing. We fast all sorts of different things. And that's cool. It's like me fasting coffee every year. I don't drink coffee, so it's like the easiest fast in the world. And some people think I'm very cool, but I'm like, that means nothing. And you can fast technology, you can fast whatever, but at the core of it, it's about fasting food. Do you know why? Because food is our most basic need in terms of just keeping going. And when I fast food, it's like Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I want to recognize that more than I need food, I need God. I need his word. I need his truth in my life. So I take time out. And and the idea is not just to be hungry. That just makes you miserable. The idea is to take that time and instead of the preparation, everything around food, to go and say, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to just draw near to the Lord. And even when I'm hungry, it's a reminder of my hunger. Blessed and are those that hunger. Hunger. I want to hunger. So it's good to feel that. So I'm going to encourage you, please do that with us. Won't you stand with me? As you leave right now, when I finish the service, I'm not going to finish quite yet. We're going to finish now. Please remember that those of you that are interested to find out more about the church and being part of us, there's the Connect Lounge in the foyer. You'll see the signage. And please make use of that opportunity. As Ben said earlier, we want to pray with people that just sense the Lord is moving in your life and pray. If you have any need, you're welcome to come forward for prayer. If you've never taken the decision to say, Lord Jesus, without you I can do nothing. If that's not the the foundational truth of your life, then I want to encourage you to come forward and ask somebody to pray with you to commit your life to Jesus. Because you can never bear the fruit. You'll never live the life of meaning and purpose in your own strength that He can cause you to live by giving Him Lordship of your life. So come and give your life to Jesus. But can I ask you to join me and just raise your hands if you feel comfortable to do that. If you don't feel comfortable to do that, if, you've, if you don't come from a tradition where you do that and it feels odd, that's fine. Then do it in your heart. But you know, when we assume a posture like this, we, it's a posture of release and it's a posture of receiving. Saying, Lord, I release everything to you. I give it all to you. It may be that you've joined us online or you're here and you've been through a tough season where it feels like David says the Lord's hand has been heavy upon you. Perhaps there's been some pruning going on in your life or perhaps there's been some discipline. Perhaps you're actually here this morning because you're trying to turn things around and you're saying, I want to stop going my own way. I want to come back to Jesus or I want to come to him for the first time. Holy Spirit, I pray for your continued moving among us right now in Jesus name 
For those that have been through a tough time, I pray for your healing hand upon them. For the balm of Gilead, the anointing oil, the refreshing of the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that they will know that you don't prune because of anger, you prune because of love. You don't discipline because you punish, you discipline because you restore. Come, Holy Spirit. Those that are here that are trying to turn things around, I pray for the the wind of your Spirit to blow over them today. Let them feel your pleasure. Let them feel your Father's arms open wide. Say, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Get the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. They're coming home. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just receive the Holy Spirit this morning. Say to yourself, I am going to abide in the Lord. This is what I'm doing right now. And as Tia said earlier, the Lord's not in a rush. I know we're on a clock. I respect that, but let's just give the Lord a bit of space. I just sense there are some people online or here with us. There's a brokenness in you because you do so, you've messed up so badly. The very things you try to do good, you've done and just damaged so much. I want to say to you, there's nothing God can't restore. There's nothing God can't heal. But it always begins with truth. Recognizing your failure. Stop running away from it. Stop trying to cover it up. That's never going to make it better. Come and kneel before the Lord Jesus and say, I have failed. Because then you can be forgiven. Then you can experience the washing of His grace and His love. If you keep minimizing the problem, you you keep just keeping yourself from healing. Say, here I am, Lord, I'm a sinner, I've failed. And experience His healing. Experience His restoration. You may be in a situation where you feel like there's no hope. You don't know what God can do. Last week we had that fantastic word from Victor. This year's pruning is next year's compost. This year's loss is next year's gain. You don't know what God can do. So I'm going to open this front area as I release you as a community. And if you need to just come and say, here, Lord Jesus, here I am. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. But just come and own your stuff and say, here I am, Lord, forgive me. And allow him to begin to restore. Thank you for being with us online this morning. Thank you for being in the venue. Thank you for your tolerance with the temperature and just what we've had. Thank you to our team that worked so hard in this week to make sure that we were able to do this today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And please join us tomorrow night here. South Church is also going to be with us. We're going to have a corporate time together on Wednesday night also. And join us in all the other uh, spaces where we're gathering to pray and to fast. May you experience the closeness and the goodness of the Lord. Bless you. Have a fantastic day and a week.